So I was all set to carry on talking about the spirit of sonship, but then I, I sat down, and just as we started singing, I just, I just heard the word forgotten. And I um, spent the next few minutes asking the Lord about it. And, um, yeah. And I, I ended up uh, in Genesis chapter 16, um, where we read that Hagar feels forgotten, she's running away. And she says this, she gave this name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And I was just conscious that perhaps we need to spend a few moments talking about how we are seen. And talking about the fact that you are not forgotten. And that God does see you. But I'm not going to do that. Uh, Nigel's going to come and do that because we were having this little text conversation. He told me, gave this word on Saturday about all being seen. And I thought, well, that sounds good to me. So, Nigel, you come and share. I've got it here, if you want. There you go. Thanks, bro. So, I wasn't prepared. Uh, if I'd been prepared, I'd perhaps put on some different clothes that I didn't look like a forestry ranger or something like that. So. <laughs> Anyway, there you go. So, wide world web, world wide web, hello. Um, really good to be speaking this morning. Just let me put this in context, how this, this word came about, because it was really interesting. So before Christmas, I had a meeting with a guy called Sharika Hulagali, a wonderful guy, and he's the national leader of the Foursquare Church. And he's one of my rapid response team chaplains, and we're in relationship with each other. And we were talking about how the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association can support churches that are battling with urban violence and knife crime. Because many of his churches are urban churches in the south of England, London, and the home counties, and blighted by violence. And so we were exploring how together we could support them using their experience. And I said, look, I've got three things that are against me speaking into this, this situation of knife crime, which is, for the most part, uh, black. Not exclusively, but predominantly in those areas where those churches are. I said, I'm white, I'm over 50, and I'm a retired cop. Those are three big barriers for me speaking with any authority into this situation. You've got to help me here, Sharika. So he said, Nigel, would you come along to our um, leaders' retreat, our national leaders' retreat, in January and share about the Shane Hope in Crisis seminar because that might be a catalyst for getting involved in more churches across the UK, particularly in the south of England and London, uh, but it will also enable them to grab your heart and vision for what you want to do. So I said, wonderful, I can do that. He says, if you give, give you 10 or 15 minutes, will that be okay? What an honour. He says, come on this uh, Friday night because we're having a time of praise and worship and ministry, have a meal together and then you can give you a presentation in the morning. Wonderful. So beginning of January, he phones me and says, do you think you could take an hour? <laughs> so I said, yeah, of course I can. And I could talk for an hour about Shane Hope in Crisis and uh, how effective it is in discipleship because it's not a, a program that is there to recruit chaplains, it's there to train the church and equip the church to go out and meet the needs of the community. So I said, sure. But then I thought, you know, I've got leaders, national leaders of a church there, and I feel if I just give them an hour on the rapid response team, it's too big a sell, and I'm actually robbing them of the opportunity to speak into the lives 
So I said, I can do an hour, but I'd much rather bring a word of encouragement. Would that be okay? And he said, sure. And that was it. We had no further conversation other than I was going to be doing an hour on Saturday morning. So let me just say that um, I've been using a, a book uh, called Praying the Names of God by Anne Sprangler, I think her name is, and I've been going in and out of it for a number of years, and I've just started going back into it again. And the Lord laid on my heart this one phrase, El Roi, the God who sees me. And I was sure it was not just for me, but for the church as well. And so I prepared a teaching on it. And then on the Friday night, um, Sharika's wife, Krista, gave this word of prophecy. And I just sat there, and I was typing it down as it came out. And I was just amazed. And I shouldn't be amazed, because God is the author of everything. Of everything. So the word that she proclaimed, and it's about sight, and I'm old, and I get dizzy if I wear very focal, so it's glasses on, glasses off. Okay. So the word that she gave this, bearing in mind I'm going to be teaching on vision and seeing, was this. You have carried pain and heartache that no one has seen. You have woken in the night with your pillow wet from tears. I have seen it. I am with you. For I am putting... A new mantle on you, says the Lord. I am removing those spectacles and putting new glasses on so that you can see in a new way. And of course, I'm sat there thinking, I've not sent my notes to anyone. Well, maybe Adam with the phrase that I was going to be using. And I thought, God, what are you doing here? I'm uh, giving you a new perspective and a new vision. So I just went out of that meeting thinking, wow. The word that you've put on my heart is totally right. And of course, I, when I stepped up to speak, of course, I don't usually preach. I teach the Shine Hope in Crisis, but I felt perfect liberty to share what God had given me. And it was such an impactive word. And I pray that it will be an impactive word for you as well. So one of the names that has really gripped me from this book, um, and I keep mulling it over in mind quite frequently, and trying to figure out how I can apply it to my life. And when Adam spoke last week, it just dovetailed together. My understanding became even more clear, and my vision was honed and refined. Now, depending on your view of God, your relationship with him and your personal circumstances, that phrase, El Roi, the God who sees me, will mean different things to you. Now, I'm not so naive that when I was speaking yesterday to the church leaders, that they had everything together. And neither have we. We don't have life. We don't have the ministry. We don't have relationships. We don't have work. We don't have children. Husbands, wives, we don't understand it all. We get it wrong. So many times we mess up. And let us be real in our own lives. And for those that are in leadership or positions of authority or speak out into others, there are those times in which we completely get it wrong. And the challenge is, for the leaders, of course, they often have less time to deal with the impact of those decisions, their judgment calls, and moments of weakness. And the same is exactly the same for us. We all have that limited time to adequately address those things that are going on in our lives. But when we are freed by the power of the word, 
the work of the Holy Spirit and a true understanding of our identity in Christ, then we can do great exploits for the kingdom, changing individual lives, bringing release, bringing abundant life and impacting communities. And that is what this house is about, isn't it? We have it written on the walls and so many times I've stood up here and said, this is what we do, but it's not just what we do, it's who we are. We are there not for our own selves to increase our own life, our own abundance, our own passions, our visions, the things that we're working out, but to do it for everyone in the community that we serve, whether that's the community uh, through uh, CAP, whether it's Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, whether it's Bradford Christian School, wherever we work out, we are doing it for the kingdom and the communities that God has called us to serve in. So the question is, does the phrase El E fill you with dread that God sees all, every thought, every action, every motive? Or does the phrase El E bring you hope and comfort that God sees every struggle, every challenge, every victory, every heartache, and everything that brings you joy, everything that brings you comfort? God sees it all. And often it's our perception or understanding that changes. Our God never changes. So let's have a look at the verse that Adam mentioned. Genesis 16, 13. She, Hagar, gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well called Beer Lahai Roi is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Just let me dwell on that phrase, Beer Lahai Roi. It means, well, of the living one who sees me. What a beautiful phrase that we can dip into the well and taste those refreshing waters of the living God who sees me and brings refreshment. What a wonderful explanation of the name and what a beautiful concept that we are in a personal relationship with that living one who sees me. And to stretch the metaphor, we can drink from the well so frequently and so deeply whenever we want. Let's put the whole passage into context. Now, uh, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. (coughs) It was a spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she answered. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, You are now pregnant 
and you'll be given to a son. You'll be give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the one, you are the God who sees me, for she says, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bought Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bought him Ishmael. Now, when we see this story through our modern eyes, and if you're into safeguarding or child protection, you see a young slave girl uses nothing more than a commodity. Sexually exploited, who becomes a surrogate mother for Abraham and Sarah, and even during her pregnancy, a decision that wasn't even her own, she's mistreated. And although we don't know what that mistreatment was, it was to such an extent that she felt that she had no choice but to run away uh, for the lifestyle that she then found herself in. So what can we learn from the story? We can see that God both saw and acted. God is an active God. He doesn't sit passively by, seeing everything that happens and not intervening. The Bible is full of examples of where God intervenes, steps in and redeems. And if I was to go through this room now, you could give countless testimony of that. And that's what we do sometimes, isn't it? As a church, we give testimony to God's faithfulness towards each one of us. Let me be clear on this. God hasn't changed. He works in exactly the same way today, speaking into situations, changing lives, redeeming people from dire situations. God still sees. He's still active and he uses ordinary people like you and like me to bring that hope and comfort in people's lives. Does he see the pressures of everyday life? He does. Does he see he's struggling with the things that we see on the news, understanding what's happening in the world? Yes, he does. Does he see us struggling with multiple jobs, problems with finances, issues with children, issues with elderly parents? Yes, he does. Does he see the strain on church finances? Yes, he does. Does he see the, the pain of broken, dysfunctional families? Yes, he does. But more than that, he is active in those situations, bringing relationship, fellowship, strong leadership, and the Holy Spirit's guidance to those situations that we face. Yes, God is El Roi, the God who sees, but more than that, he's the God who acts. He steps into those situations. He is not silent, and as the psalmist puts it, he's our ever-present help in times of trouble. Amen? Amen? The problem for so many of us is that we have such <coughs> short memories of the faithfulness of God. We quickly are overcome by the fears of the moment that we forget God's faithfulness in the past. And it's there that we need to be rooted in God's faithfulness to each one of us. Remember the disciples in the boat? We spoke about it this morning. Where, where was Jesus? He was in the boat all the time. 
And the disciples still cried out, surely we're going to die. Even though Jesus, the miracle worker, was in the boat with them. So when we read on in the story, um, we understand more. So we're jumping, if I remember, through to Genesis 21 now, from verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw the son whom Agar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and they set off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. So she's been expelled. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the bow die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him in Egypt. That which was empty, the vessel was filled through the intervention of God that brought life into that situation. God never changes. God does exactly the same today. That which was empty that can be, can be filled. Sarah was sat looking at her son Ishmael dying. And sometimes I think we look at the promises that God has made to us, the visions that we've had, the prophecies, the words that have been spoken over us, and we sit a bow's distance away and watch them wither and die when really God wants to take that which was empty, us, and refill us and remind us of the promises that God has made. Because we've looked... Uh, the two passages in Genesis, God made a promise the first time and he has to remind Hagar of the promise again. And it's when, from that that she responds and life is produced. That which was going to die is refreshed and brought into life. So just consider that. Maybe there are those things, those visions, those words, those prophecies They've been spoken of you that you're actually sitting and sobbing over because they've not come through to fulfillment. That you've yearned and labored and given your everything for that, but yet you look and see it from a distance because you can't be bare to be near it, that you think is in dying. 
Well, let me say this. God is faithful. He doesn't break his promises. And those things that are true and spoken over you will come to fruition. But sometimes we have to hear God's voice when he sees our situation and brings forth life into it that we have an action to take, that we have to make a response. You see, Hagar by this time had forgotten the promise that had been given to her years before. She had become overwhelmed by the situation she was now in. Once she had walked away from Abraham and Sarah, now in her own mind she had been banished. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. That's an instruction for her to dip into the well of life from the well of the one who sees us, the, the God who understands every situation and is active in every situation, that there is a response required. And sometimes it takes a dire situation for God to open our own eyes to the situation that we're in and the solutions that are actually already in front of us. The reality is we don't see how God sees and we don't always remember the promises words and visions that are spoken over us. Here's a quote from Rick Oldland, a pastor I know from the northwest of England, and it fits in well with uh, this message. We often use three important words in our spiritual journey, identity, destiny, and purpose. Encountering our destiny as the Father's children in the power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus starts the journey for us. Knowing our identity helps us know our ultimate destiny, destiny, and knowing our destiny shapes our purpose. Now, we have to understand that. That's what, that's what we do. We talk about our identity, our identity in Christ. The Freedom in Christ course is going to be starting soon, so we know our identity. And when we know our identity, then we can walk into our destiny and we get to our destiny through the purposes that God has given us. So let me read it again. We often use these three important words in our spiritual journey, identity, destiny, and purpose. Encountering our destiny as the Father's children in the power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus starts this journey for us. Knowing our identity helps us to know our ultimate destiny, and knowing our destiny shapes our purpose. And let me just add to that quote if I can we cannot fully experience our identity destiny and purpose until we begin to see ourselves as Jesus sees us we cannot fully experience our identity destiny and purpose until we begin to see ourselves as Jesus sees us and here is where it links in with what Adam talked about last week and I'm not apologetic for using something that Adam preached because it is absolutely powerful the quote from John Kingsley Alley from the Spirit of Sonship in his eyes you're as cherished as Jesus as wanted as Jesus as rejoiced over and as passionately felt about as Jesus and as acceptable in his presence as Jesus this is what it means to be sons you have the same status as Jesus, the Son of God. Amazing. When I sat there last week hearing that, 
it really impacted me, probably because my mind was working on this message already, and it brought clarity to what God had already given me. So let me repeat it again. In his eyes, you are cherished as Jesus, as wanted as Jesus, as rejoiced over, and as passionately felt about as Jesus, and as acceptable in his presence as Jesus. None of this, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. You know, I'm, I'm whatever is in your mind. You are acceptable in his presence as Jesus. That is life-changing, life-transforming. This is what it means to be adopted as sons. You have the same status as Jesus, the Son of God. And the scripture that supports uh, that assertion is this, from John 17, 22 to 23. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Even within that passage, it's not internal. There's, it's not just about a relationship with God and understanding God. There's an external element for it because it's not just for us. It has to have an action outside of us worked out in our lives let me read it again i give them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world outside action will know that you sent me and have loved them impacting communities generations love them even as i have loved you that brings about a change in others lives it's not just for us it's not a fuzzy feeling, it's not a nice warm feeling, it's not sitting in your, your home, your study, your quiet time with a cup of coffee thinking, oh, that's a lovely verse. It requires us to do something, it demands an action. The challenge we face is that we so quickly forget what the word proclaims over us, what Jesus himself proclaims over us and what our trusted friends and leaders have spoken over us, those words confirmed by the Word and the Holy Spirit, words of encouragement, prophecy, words that impact us for a season, but are soon forgotten. When we understand the name, El Roy, the God who sees in this context, an understanding of when he sees us, we are, that phrase again, as cherished as Jesus, as wanted as Jesus, as rejoiced over us and passionately felt about as Jesus and acceptable in his presence as Jesus, then we can fully move into the understanding of our identity, destiny and purpose. So let me bring it to a close if I can. God sees. He sees your pain. He sees your hurt. He sees your passion. He sees your triumphs. He sees your joys. He sees your labours. God sees it all. And secondly, God doesn't break his promises. We forget them. And in my notes, I put this following phrase. To acknowledge that we are forgotten, ignored or being disobedient to that which we know has been revealed to us. Perhaps we have held a distorted view of God that is distant, remote, unseeing, or impotent and 
I knew that the message that I shared yesterday <coughs> needed a response from those leaders. And they did respond to the message. And I don't think, in all honesty, I could preach the same word again and not expect that God hasn't spoken to you as well. Because really, you know, the, the word wasn't just for the four square leaders. It's a word for us all. That we all have those visions, those dreams, those passions that we have let wither, that we sit from a distance and see slowly die and sob over them. Well, God is saying he sees that. He wants to change that. He wants to take that empty vessel and refill it and bring forth life and abundance and joy and the fulfillment of his promises. So what I'd like you to do, if this is okay with Adam, if that is you, we are family, we are household. I want you to stand and those that are around you, pray with you. Because we are a house that stands with people and the visions and the promises that they walk into. And we support them every step of the way. When it goes forward, we're with them and shouting cheers. When they stumble and fall, we're there with them to pick them up. And this is a time where we can be family together, responding to how the Holy Spirit has moved upon someone this morning. So if you have something that you think, God gave me that word years ago, and I've let it die or it is withered, this is a time where God can step in and bring that refreshing. So if you'd like to stand, I'm not going to make any big prayer about it, but if that is you, just, just stand. And those around you uh, will pray for you, and then I'll bring it together in just a moment. Steve, do you think you could just um, give us a moment on, on the piano? be good. Just make sure if there's someone standing near you that they're not standing alone and, and just, just pray with them. Thanks, Steve.
time to uh, close by reminding you of the word um, that was given on Friday. You've carried pain and heartache that no one has seen. You've walked in the night with your pillow wet with tears. I have seen it. I am with you. For I am putting a new mantle on you, says the Lord. I am removing those spectacles and putting new glasses on so that you can see in a new way. I'm giving you a new perspective and a new vision. thank you that you are the God who sees but not only sees you're active in our lives you see us you hear us and you respond to our plight so Father we acknowledge that you are a wonderful God a faithful God whose promises are never forgotten and are never broken and Father we pray that from this this morning on we would have a clearer vision and a clearer understanding of who you are and how you see us and how we relate to each other to work out your purposes to be released into our, our identity, Father. Thank you, Lord.